of our series, Seven Words of Love. And we've been looking at the, the words spoken by Jesus from the cross. Today, they are words of life. They're found in John 19, verse 30, and it says this, When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. For many, life ends with a sense of incompleteness. Many die having left a lot on the table. Their relationships were never what they wanted them to be. They didn't accomplish the things in life that they had hoped to. There were things left undone, goals left unmet, words that needed to be said that were never uttered. Life draws to a close and we're left to lament all the things we never quite got around to. Now the key to having a sense of accomplishment is, is knowing why you're here, what you are commissioned to do, called to do, and created to do. You're not, you're not meant to do everything. I think that's a mistake that some of us made. We think we're meant to do everything. You're not meant to do everything. There are lots of things that we will never do. There's lots of things that I will never do. In fact, I have a list. Here's 10 things I'll never do. I'm never going to jump out of a perfectly good airplane. I'm not doing it. That ain't happening. I'm never going to eat monkey brains. Now, I know in some parts of the world, that's a great delicacy. They bring out the monkey head, you crack it open, and you eat the brains. I'm never going to eat monkey brains. I'm never going to work in a chicken processing plant. I'll never have a face tattoo. Now, it might, might work for Mike Tyson, but the mustache is as daring as I get. I'm never going to travel to Antarctica. We have enough cold weather. If I'm going that far, I'm going somewhere warm. I'll never buy off-brand dental floss. I've been that route. I'm never going to run with the bulls. And I'm never going to say the phrase, I'll give 110%. That's incoherent. I'm never going to drive to Alaska. Did you know, and I've known a couple people that have done this, it takes... 60 hours to drive to Alaska. 60 hours. The, the work week is 40 hours. 40? 60 hours. to. I, I'm never driving to Alaska. And last one, I'm never going to own a pony. That ship has sailed. So... So there are lots of things that I'll never do. And there are lots of things that, that Jesus never did. But he did what he came to do. And, and so he could say without hesitation, it is finished. Jesus understood exactly what his mission was. So, so when it was accomplished, he knew it was finished. Jesus understood exactly what he came to do. What did he come to do? Well, consider these, consider these verses that read like 
purpose statements or, or mission statements. John 1.29 says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. Very descriptive statement of mission and purpose. Mark 10.45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. He knew exactly why He was here. Christ Jesus, 1 Timothy 1.15 says, came into the world, why? To save sinners. And the last one, 1 John 3.5, and you know that He was manifested to take away our sins. It's all very clear. Jesus knew exactly why He came. He knew exactly why He was here. And as He hung on the cross, He could say with confidence, it is finished. The, the looming cross in all of its horror weighed heavy on Jesus during his last days on earth. His struggle in the Garden of Gethsemane was the culmination. It was the, the point at which he ultimately and completely surrendered his will to the Father. Fast forward a few hours from Gethsemane and Jesus is suspended above the earth, hanging on the cross. The cup had been drunk. The baptism of suffering was completed. It was a done deal. In the crucifixion accounts of both Matthew and Mark, just before Jesus breathed his last, it says he cried out again in a loud voice. John the, the account of John gives us the content of this loud cry, and it's the three words, it is finished. The defeated, you know, go out with a whimper. But the triumphant proclaim their victory loud and proud. The victory cry of Jesus echoed across the hill called Calvary and was heard around the world. It is finished. So our question today becomes, what was finished? Let me give you six things that were finished on the cross. Number one, the work that his father gave him to do. We all long, don't we, for a sense of accomplishment. Even in the, the microcosm of our daily lives, it feels good to get the project done. It feels good to to check the box and to cross another chore off the to-do list. And whenever I think about the to-do list or the honey-do list, I, I can't help but think of my brother a few years ago who carried around a, a honey-do list that his wife had left him. And he got such a kick out of it because number seven was paint the house inside and out. That's it. <laughs> Be nice to check that one off, wouldn't it? One of, the, one of my systems of success is that when I leave the office, I, I write a list for the next day of three or four things that I want to do first thing in the morning. It gives me direction at the beginning of the day. It starts me off with some simple tasks. It feels good to get some of those First things done, it feels good to start your day 
with some easy wins. It feels good to accomplish something early and be able to say, even of a small task, it is finished. Paul savored this same sense of accomplishment in 2 Timothy 4.7. He says, I've, I've fought the fight. He said, I've finished my course. I have kept the faith. How much more than with what Jesus came to do? It was in John chapter 17 in his prayer for the disciples when he said, I have glorified you on earth, he says to his Father. I have finished the work which you gave me to do. He came to live, he, he came to die, and now the work his Father gave him to do was finished. What else was finished? His earthly life. You know, he didn't just burst onto the scene like a, like a shooting star. Jesus had come more than three decades previous to all this. As a tiny infant, he was born in Bethlehem. He was raised in Nazareth. He grew up in a blue-collar family. He worked with his hands and by the sweat of his brow. He studied the Torah. He learned the intricacies of the Jewish faith. He went to school. He honored his parents, and he kept the Sabbath. Much of his life was nondescript. It was unremarkable and without much fanfare. Jesus was no child star. He was not the prodigy exalted by the locals and hailed as the future ruler. He simply paid his dues, earned his way, and lived life. Just like you and me. And there's something about that that endears him to us, doesn't it? I mean, for 30 years, he was a regular guy. He lived among the people, and he waited for the hour when he would begin his short-lived three-year ministry that would somehow turn the world upside down. It would last but three years. It would take him to the moment that we focus on here where he cries with a loud voice, it is finished. His time on earth was over. What else was finished? Number three, his physical sufferings. We, we cannot minimize his physical suffering. This is part of what we tried to bring out last week as we contemplated the humanity of Jesus. This was a suffering to be avoided at all costs. Most would give anything, do anything, say anything to avoid even a fraction of the suffering imposed upon Jesus at the crucifixion. And to think he had the power to step away from it at any time. The only power anyone had over him was what he allowed them to have. It's mind-boggling to me. It's mind-boggling to me that he would endure crucifixion and all that it entailed for us. There was no divine intervention. He walked knowingly and willingly through it all. We see the struggle of Christ played out in his humanity as he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's found in Matthew chapter 26 and beginning in verse 36. It says, Then 
cometh Jesus with them, the disciples, into a place called Gethsemane. And he said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. And he began to be sorrowful, full of sorrow, and very heavy. He said unto them, my soul is, ex imagine Jesus saying this, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Wait here, tarry here, and watch with me. He went a little further, and he fell on his face, and he prayed, oh, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He came to the disciples in verse 40, find them, found them asleep, and he said, Peter, couldn't you watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Verse 42, he went again the second time and prayed, Oh, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink of it. And your will be done. Make no mistake, the prospect of what he was about to face was something he dreaded. He wanted a different option. He prayed for another way. But he was willing to do what was necessary. He was willing to endure the suffering if it was the will of his Father. That meant enduring the terrible scourging. A scourge is a is a whip with a handle with about, with about a dozen leather cords, each with a jagged piece of metal or bone attached to the end to make each blow inflicted that much more devastating. The leather straps would wrap around the body of Jesus with the force of each blow and tear away chunks of his flesh. Compound this with multiple blows and then 12 straps included with each swing of the whip Bone and even vital organs could be laid bare. And then there's the crown of thorns. Each account of the crucifixion records a crown of thorns was placed upon his head during the events leading up to the crucifixion. It was, it was one of the instruments of torture employed by his executioners both to cause him physical pain and to mock his claim of authority. The bramble of thorns was pressed into his tender brow and the blood ran down his face as they taunted him with chants like, Hail, King of the Jews. He was punched, slapped, clubbed, and spat upon. It was more than even the worst criminal should have to bear, much less the sinless Savior of the world. He would have to carry his cross then along the Via Della Rosa, the way of suffering, all the way to a hill called Calvary, where he would have nails driven between the bones in his wrists and into his feet. It's all beyond comprehension, isn't it? It's all beyond comprehension. The suffering of Jesus defies adjectives adequate to describe it. And there he hung until all the life had drained from his body. And finally he uttered the words of love we, we focus on today. It is finished. His physical suffering was over. Another aspect of those words, it is finished, is that all the prophecies were fulfilled. All that was foretold and 
prefigured in the Old Testament was now accomplished. It was completed. It was fulfilled. It was finished. Everything the prophets, priests, and kings had pictured was now accomplished in Jesus. The seed of the woman had bruised the head of the serpent. The Levitical principle that without the shedding of blood there could be no remission of sins was satisfied on the altar we know as Golgotha. The lamb prophetically slain from the very foundation of the world was now lifted up upon the cross as, as the one complete, sufficient, and perfect sacrifice. What had been foretold and foreshadowed so long ago by the seers and the prophets sent of God had come to pass. It was finished. Also finished was the atonement for sins, number five. The words, it is finished, declared the amazing reality that Jesus had paid the price for our sins. The veil in the temple was rent in two from top to bottom. A new and living way had been established whereby we could enter into the Holy of Holies. The price had been paid. His atoning work was finished. And a final thing finished was his conflict with evil. The prophecy of Genesis 3.15 would be fulfilled on Calvary's cross. The crucifixion appeared to be a crushing defeat for Jesus, but it was merely a bruising of the heel. The fact was, Satan's head was crushed as Jesus died on the cross and rose victoriously from the grave three days later. This sealed the deal. With Adam's sin, the devil had momentarily, seemingly, won a battle. But the cross and the empty tomb meant that he had lost the war. Jesus had overcome temptation in the desert. He had lived a sinless life. He recruited and mentored the disciples. He fulfilled all the prophecies and he died on the cross. It was over. Jesus was victorious. He had defeated the works of the devil. His battle with evil was over. Now the battle is in our hands. For us, the battle still rages. We wrestle not with flesh and blood. We're battling the principalities and powers in the heavenlies. We're, we're struggling with the rulers of darkness. Our battle rages on. We still have choices to make, but for Jesus, the battle has been won. It is finished. Those are powerful words. They're words of life. Jesus finished what he came to do. He accomplished all the work that his Father gave him to do. His earthly life had run its course. It's his physical suffering was over. All the prophecies were fulfilled. His atonement for sins had been accomplished. And his conflict with evil was past. He had not only finished, he had finished well. How can we finish well? Let me give you four quick thoughts on how you and I can finish well. Number one, we must live on purpose. Unless Jesus had a purpose, unless he had a mission to complete, the words, it is finished, would have no meaning. If we're going to hear the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant, 
now enter into the joy of the Lord, we have to know what it is we came to do. We each have to realize that we're here to enhance the kingdom. I don't think Jesus gives one rip how big your house is. I don't think he cares at all how much money you make. Those are not the measurements of how well you lived your life in the eyes of God. Did you love God? And did you love your neighbor in a, such a way that it would reflect your relationship with Jesus? That's a life lived on purpose. Number two, so, so if we're going to finish well like Jesus did, then we have to live life on purpose, number one. Number two is we have to live focused. Jesus set his face, the Bible says, like a flint and began his journey toward the cross. We need to live life. Listen, church, we need to live life with the important matters of the gospel in view. Living lives of purpose requires us to focus on our priorities, but most of us are living scattered lives, absent of focus, absent of intentionality, simply existing from day to day and week to week and paycheck to paycheck. Living focused means that we've discovered our giftings and we've discovered our calling and we focus our time and our attention and our energy there. We're not trying to do everything. Our energy is concentrated on what we were created to do. This requires focus and discipline. This is what Jesus did. He didn't do everything. He focused on the work that he was sent to do. If you want to finish life well, number three, live a life of obedience. To be able to say it is finished as Jesus did, our lives must be marked by obedience. Jesus willingly obeyed. Philippians 2.8 says he humbled himself and he became obedient unto, the unto death, even the death of the cross. Paul put it this way, I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. And this life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. Obedience is the, hear me now church, obedience is the opposite of independence. You're either going to do it God's way or you're going to do it your way. There is no in-between. There is no third option. There was no third option for Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was God's way or not. There's His way or mine. There's a, a wide road or a narrow road. There's, there's a way that leads to life and there's a way that leads to death. If we're going to finish well, it means we've lived a life of obedience to the voice of the Father. Finishing well, number four, means that we live lives of sacrifice and suffering. We must be willing to suffer to achieve God's purpose for our lives. Let me say that again, church. See, that isn't the prosperity gospel, is it? You must be willing to suffer 
to achieve God's purpose for our lives. If you're, if you're living for pleasure, hear me, focus in on this. If you're living for pleasure or happiness or some other self-sufficient, self-satisfying goal, I encourage you to, to rethink. I encourage you to reevaluate. Because first of all, it will never get you what you hope it will. Amen. Happiness is not a goal to be pursued. Happiness is not a goal to be pursued. Happiness is the product of a life well lived. The most impactful, difference-making lives were lived for Jesus. So four ways to live that will enable you to finish well. Number one, live life on purpose. Know why you're here. Know what you're called to do. Know, know what it is you're, you're involved in and, and active in. Know what your calling is. Know what your gifting is. Live life on purpose. Number two, live focused. Devote your time and your energy to what it is God created you to do. Discover what your giftings are. Discover what you love. Discover what you're good at. And then focus on that. One of the great mistakes we make in life is we work on all the things we're not good at. Forget the stuff you're not good at and begin to do the things you're called to do, you're equipped to do, and you're created to do. Live focused. Number three, live a life of obedience. It's, it's all about obedience. And obedience speaks of faithfulness. We all want to go right to fruitful, right? The problem is you can't go right to fruitful. It starts with faithful. You have to be faithful every day. And one day, you find yourself fruitful. So it's about being faithful. You have to be faithful on the good days and faithful on the bad days. You have to be faithful on the days you feel like being faithful and faithful on the days you don't feel like being faithful. You have to be faithful on the days when it's all going your way and faithful on the days when you're dragging an anchor. It's all about being faithful. You can control being faithful. You can't control fruitful, but you can control faithful. So you get up every day and you make a decision. You say, Lord, today I'm going to be faithful. And somewhere down the line, you just, somebody comes up to you and says, hey, you made a difference in, you, in my life. And you say, what I did? Absolutely. In your dark hours, you got up and you were faithful. And you discover in the midst of all of your faithfulness, you were fruitful. Can't control fruitful. Can only control faithful. Live a life of obedience. And number four, be willing to live a life of suffering and sacrifice for the cross. As death overtook him, Jesus says, Jesus said, it is finished. In the end, they were words of life. It was the same thing, interestingly enough, as you look at the, the annals of Scripture. He kind of said the same thing at the end of creation. It's done. Finished. Then here in the middle of the Bible, so that's way back at the beginning, then here in the middle of the Bible, the cross... It's finished. And then you get to the end of the Bible. Book of Revelation. Seated on the throne. It's finished. Did what he came to do. He accomplished what he came to accomplish. He 
It's finished. Life comes and goes, doesn't it? If you're young, it's hard to understand that. But life comes and it goes. We had the little ones up here today. and I remember being in a restaurant with my little ones. And, and people would come over, old people. And they'd say, oh, enjoy this, it goes fast. You know, and you're thinking, it, it ain't going too fast. And now I got a couple of them sitting right here that are full grown. It went fast. Life comes and goes. When you're young, it seems as though it'll last forever. But time hurries on, and the leaves that are green turn to brown. And one day, it's finished. We had way too many funerals here last year at Central Assembly. And in those moments, you realize it really wasn't about the happiness. It really wasn't about the pleasure. It was about how you lived for Jesus. We get caught up in the routine. We get caught up in all the activities of life. The Bible calls it pursuit of pleasure, pursuit of riches, cares of life stuff is enticing. We get lost in it. And then one day something happens and, and all of a sudden you're, you're focused on what's really important. Right, Deb? So my encouragement to you this morning is to begin to look at your life and say, what do I need to do to finish well? One day those will be my words. It is finished. Will I have accomplished, God, what you created me to do? And all that starts with knowing Jesus. All that starts with knowing Jesus. He's there. He's willing. His arms are open. He came for you. The Bible says that Whoever will come to him, he will in no wise cast out. So it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. There's those great stories of, of people on death row and a minister goes in to talk to the man on death row. He did terrible things, heinous things. They received the gospel. And to think that God could forgive their sin. The thief on the cross may never have done a good thing in his life. In his last moments, he says to Jesus, remember me, remember me. Jesus looks at him and says, today, you'll be with me in paradise. So it's not too late. But it takes a decision on your part. The Bible says, to as many as receive him, he gives the power to become a child of God. That means you're not a child of God to start with. At some point, through a decision that you make, an act of your will, you become a child of God. And you say, Lord, I'm thinking about the cross and the blood that, that you gave. 
Without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. And so every drop of blood that, that fell from your body was for my sin. I want to receive that from you. I want, to, I want my sins to be washed away. I'm not, I can't do it in and of myself. I'm a sinner. But Jesus, because of what you did, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world, because of what you did, I can be saved. So Lord, I want to receive that today. Wash away my sins. Cleanse me from all of my unrighteousness that I might be saved. Lord, we receive that from you today. Lord, maybe there's one here today that, that this is a new thought. Maybe they, maybe they thought just that by being good they were saved. If I, I'm a good person. My good deeds outweigh my bad de deeds. But the reality of that is we're a sinner. We have to deal with the sin issue. And that's why you came. Jesus. And as you hung on the cross, as the life drained from your body, as the atonement was being made, you said, it is finished. Lord, we receive that from you today. We're saved by grace through faith, not of works, not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. And this morning we receive that from you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much, everybody, for coming this morning. Thank you for joining us and being able to worship.